May the words of my mouth, even with a hoarse voice, and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I have a confession to make. I mean, we, we are in the season of Lent, aren't we? And this is one that I've kept under wraps for about 25 years now. So it's time. It was back in my final year as an undergraduate student at Wayland Baptist University. And as I'm on the cusp of graduating with a degree in Christian studies. And one of my classes that semester was a required course that I had been putting off as long as I possibly could because I was just too scared and insecure to take it. The class was preaching 101. That's right, scary. And I had heard that to complete the class, you would have to deliver a sermon in front of your classmates, a sermon that they would evaluate and give you feedback on. And that freaked me out. Because as much as I wanted to learn the art of homiletics, I knew that I was a rookie. I knew I'd make mistakes. I knew I would likely embarrass myself in front of the class. And that thought completely paralyzed me. About halfway through the semester, the professor directed us to a calendar he had posted in the hallway where we could sign up for the day we wanted to preach. And so immediately after class, I made a beeline to that calendar and wrote my name, that's right, on the very last day of the school year. Maybe a little more procrastination would help. But as that last day of class drew closer, as I prepared and tweaked and practiced that sermon a hundred times, my anxiety got the best of me. I couldn't go through with it. So when the day finally came, I stayed home and sent a message to my professor, Dr. Meeks, and I told him a lie. I told him that I was sick and I couldn't make it to class. I knew I was taking a chance. There was no opportunity for a makeup day. The semester was over. I mean, yes, he could have failed me, but for being sick? I put him in a tough spot, but he was gracious. He accepted my typed out sermon and I ended up acing the class without ever having to deliver that much dreaded sermon. Do you still love me? <laughs> It's not a story I'm proud of, to say the least, but upon reflection, what bothers me the most is that I had assumed that the road to becoming a good preacher was paved with preaching good sermons. I had assumed that to preach well meant that you always preached well, never making any mistakes. But as we all know, that's just not how life works. I notice this tendency in my children as well. And so, for example, if one of them shows an interest in learning how to play the piano, they assume that they will start out right from the beginning playing Mozart. That the piano teacher will, show, will simply show them what to do, how to practice, and then they'll follow these instructions effortlessly and without making any mistakes. 
But when they discover it doesn't work that way, when they finally find themselves messing up, they quickly conclude, well, I guess I'm not good enough to learn the piano. And so unfortunately, they quit, like we all did, right? Most of us, not Jordan. But that's not how you learn at all. You don't learn to play the piano by doing it rightly, but by doing it wrongly and then trying again. The same thing is true for most things in life, for sports, art, music, relationships, school, marriage, parenting, and yes, even following Jesus. We grow as humans not by avoiding mistakes, but by making mistakes and then learning from them. The path is never smooth and easy. No, it's always rocky and difficult, full of missteps and misunderstandings. The same is true for our Christian life. We grow as followers of Jesus, not by doing it rightly, but ironically, by doing it wrongly and then trying again. And if there was ever a model for this kind of faith, a faith that stumbles down a rocky road, then look no further than the first followers of Jesus. Because it's something that the gospel writers didn't try to hide. No, they paint the disciples in a very honest light. What we discover is that these men are not shining examples of unwavering commitment. They are not men who are quick to understand the ways of Jesus. No, they are constantly divided between devotion and doubt, faith and fear, loyalty and disloyalty. <laughs> Which means that they aptly describe the lives of us Christians today. You would think that, they would find gr- that we would find great comfort in this. And yet too often we cower under the call to follow Jesus by protesting that we aren't good enough, that we're too imperfect, too untalented, too ordinary, too whatever to be a true disciple. We make any failure in our life, we take any misstep, and like my children playing the piano or like me in preaching class, we step away. We disengage, we hang our heads and stop trying. Perhaps we need to take another look at the disciples. And perhaps, not just any disciple, perhaps we need to look into the face of the premier disciple, the rock upon which Jesus built his church and remind ourselves of his tenacity to get back up and try, try again. I'm talking about the Apostle Peter here, but let's call him Rocky for short. For if his faith journey was anything, it was Rocky. And we desperately need to be reminded of how he walked this Rocky road. Our gospel passage this morning tells of one of those major missteps that Rocky was known for. A misstep that ironically occurred on the heels of a major step forward. Now, here's what happened. 
For the first eight chapters of Mark, the main question buzzing about is, who is this Jesus guy? This one who pronounces forgiveness. This one who stills the storms at sea. This one who heals the sick. Who commands unclean spirits to depart. Who feeds the thousands upon the hillside. Who is this Jesus? It's a question that culminates at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus decides to make this a a topic of conversation among his disciples. Who do people say that I am? How are folks talking about me around the water cooler? Well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus says, famously turning the question around. Who do you say that I am? And that's when Rocky, speaking for the rest of the disciples, hits a home run. You see, up until this point in the story, Peter has come up only twice in Mark's account. But after this confession, he is clearly now the disciple out in front, leading the way. He becomes for us a disciple to emulate. But then Jesus begins to teach That the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And that is when this premier disciple, whom we all love to look up to, tanks. He makes a major mistake based on a major misunderstanding. (laughs) You You can picture the scene. Rocky grabs Jesus by the arm, pulls him aside. And starts giving him a lecture. Jesus, as the now recognized Messiah, you're talking nonsense here. That's not at all what a king is supposed to say. Now, come on, get your act together. You're embarrassing us. I love how Mark tells the story at this point. He notes that in response to Peter, Jesus first turns and looks at the rest of the disciples. So you know they're watching. You know they're listening, perhaps even glad that Rocky put him in his place. And so now what's going to happen? What is Jesus going to say? Well, we all know the story, don't we? Jesus rebukes him right back, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. In other words, Rocky You have completely misunderstood me and my mission. You are so heading in the wrong direction that we might as well label your behavior for what it is. Demonic. Ouch. Talk about a turn of events. A tragic misstep. A stumbling down a rocky road. The rock upon which Christ will build his church has got it all wrong. Rocky is in the same league as Satan. Surely then he'll now hang his head in shame, go back to Galilee and return to his former life of fishing. Surely it's clear by now that he's not good enough to follow Jesus. But we all know what happens. We all know that Rocky Continues on, up and down, two steps forward, two steps back, up and down, making mistakes. 
and finding grace all the way to his martyrdom. In fact, in the very next scene, Peter is invited along with James and John on a high mountain where they witness the transfiguration of Jesus, a major step forward in his life with God. Only during that glorious moment, once again, he inserts his foot into his mouth because Mark tells us he did not know what he was saying. Whoops, another mistake. But then he gets back up and he tries again. So fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was distressed and agitated, the text says, he tells Rocky that he is deeply grieved, even to death, so please pray for me. Can you imagine Jesus asking you to pray for him? And so what does Rocky do? He takes a nap. Ah, another mistake. A bit later, a mob comes to arrest Jesus, and Rocky, now waking up from his nap, picks up a sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's slave, ready to fight for God's kingdom, only to be reprimanded once again by Jesus. Peter, this is not what it means to be my disciple. Ah, another mistake. And yet, Rocky keeps on going. And then, we all know this one, as Jesus stands on trial, Rocky stays nearby, you know, to see how things will play out. And so lingering in the courtyard, a little servant girl takes notice of him and starts inquiring about his relationship with Jesus. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? You're a friend of Jesus. To which Rocky denies not just once, not twice, but three separate times. I never knew the man. Up and down, back and forth. This is Rocky's journey of faith. My friends, this should be a huge encouragement to us. For you also bear the name Rocky, and so do I. For all of us, our life of faith follows this surprising pattern of up and down, back and forth, doing things more often wrongly than rightly, but then coming back to Jesus time and time again. That's really the key, isn't it? Returning to Jesus. I mean, that really is the essence of the Christian life. That's actually what separates the mistakes of Peter from the mistakes of Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. I mean, you could certainly argue that Judas's mistakes were no worse than Peter's. The difference is that Peter comes back to Jesus every single time. And that is what this season of Lent is to remind us of. It's meant to train us to do what Rocky did his entire life. Make mistakes and come back to Jesus. That's the rocky road of following Jesus. approached a monk and asked him what is it that you do in that monastery every day to which the monk paused thought for a moment and then replied well essentially we fall down and get back up 
fall down and get back up over and over again. That's what he says. This is the Christian life, falling and getting back up again and again over the course of one's entire life. I find it interesting to note that the metaphor of walking with God is used all throughout Scripture. In Mark, in fact, it's called following Jesus along the way. We are called to walk with Jesus. It comes as no surprise then that this metaphor of walking is often accompanied by another, a metaphor of stumbling. That's because as we walk, we trip. We lose our way. Even blatantly err and wander off the path. We are all prodigals. It's not a question of if you stumble, but when. When we stumble, when we fall, then what? Well, we begin again. We come back to Jesus. We repent. So let this season of Lent do exactly that for you. Let it be an opportunity for you and for me, like Peter, to embrace this rocky road of following Jesus and come back to him again and again and again. Come back to Jesus.